A reading from Acts. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So he got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home. Seated in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you understand what you are reading? He replied, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, about whom, may I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip began to speak, and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop. And both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he was passing through the region, he proclaimed the good news to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. And now from Isaiah. Who has believed what we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by others, a man of suffering and acquainted with infirmity. And as one from whom others hide their faces, he was despised and we held him of no account. Surely he has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases, yet we accounted him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole, and by his bruises we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep, that before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. And again from Isaiah. 
Do not let the foreigner join to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And do not let the eunuch say, I am just a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. The word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? O God, may the words that proceed from my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you this day. God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear the narrative that you have anticipated for our lives. Amen. The phone rang at Donald Miller's house early one morning, and the voice on the other end of the phone said, Don, we want to make a movie about your life, about the book you wrote. This book was entitled Blue Like Jazz. So the producer Steve and his crew met Don to lay out the plot of the story. In their conversations, Steve suggests that the plot needed a narrative arc, a twist in the story, if you will, to make it more action-filled and easier to follow for the viewer. He said that it would create a better story. Don then sheepishly asked, You think they might be bored if we just show my life the way it is? Steve says, Well, technically, we're going to take the essence of you and find the story. Don responds, I mean no disrespect, but what is wrong with the Don in my book, the Don who I really am? In pure story, Steve says, there's a purpose in every scene, in every line of dialogue. A movie is going somewhere. For Don, those last words lingered in his heart. He reflects on it in his book, A Million Miles in a Thousand Years, and says this, That last line rang in my ear like an accusation. I felt defensive, as if though the scenes weren't going anywhere. I mean, I know they weren't going anywhere, but it didn't seem okay for anybody else to say it. When Don gets his thoughts together, he comes back at Steve by saying, Yeah, but what about that encounter with the bear? That wasn't boring. It ran away, Steve said. And Steve goes on to say, Look, you wouldn't play a recording of a garbage truck with a recording of a jackhammer and pass it off as music. It's not music. It's just noise. It's the same thing with story. Without story, experiences are just random. In the next years of his life, Donald Miller takes this as an opportunity to look at his life and look at the story that it's telling, not to determine whether or not it's fun enough or action-packed enough to make it enjoyable for the world, but rather whether or not he is living his life story for a purpose. He does not simply want his life to be a list of random experiences 
but desires for each moment of character development, each chapter that's written in it, to be moving towards a purpose or a telos in Greek. So he spends the rest of his 300-page book sharing how he did just that. When I read this book several years ago, I saw myself in Dawn, daring to ask the question, who am I? I envied him at having a chance to do some daringly bold things to write a new story for his life. I mean, I knew that I had several stories to maybe eventually tell the grandkids someday, but did they really mean anything? Was there some thesis statement I had that held my life together? Dawn, myself, and perhaps you are not alone in the desire to rethink our stories. In the scripture passage for today, we drop in on a character at about the same moment that we found Dawn. At the moment of chance for rethinking life's story. The character is an Ethiopian eunuch and a royal official of the queen. Though it's a noble position... He was more than likely a victim of the royal system that made him a eunuch so that his affairs with the queen would be strictly business-focused. We find him reading in the back of a chariot on his way home from worship at the temple in Jerusalem. This reading has sparked his interest and has brought him to the glorious aha moment, one where the words seem to fly off the page and grab him tightly. Those are the moments that bring us to the edge of our seats and make us believe that the words were written for him exactly at that moment. He reads about someone who was led to slaughter and cut off experiences that he too faced when he became a eunuch. And if in fact this this passage is about a man who is similar condition to his own, there was beautiful promises in it for him a rewriting of the course of his narrative, perhaps. And so he read and pondered intently. Because he was a eunuch, believed to be made so for job purposes, he was isolated socially. And his name, even if he had one, was insignificant, and it's not even mentioned here in the passage. He was reminded physically that he was a property of the empire, And his story was written solely on the account of his job enterprises. But most disappointing to all is that he did not have the opportunity to become a Jew. Because the Old Testament books of both Leviticus and Deuteronomy clearly speak of eunuchs. And they clearly exclude them for their imperfections. And as a matter of fact, they are tossed wistfully into the same trash pile as the deformed birds. They were not allowed to worship in the temple, but only in the outer courts. So the fact that this Ethiopian eunuch had traveled such a great distance to attend worship, but only on the outside, may cause us to pause and think for a moment. What was he really doing there? Some scholars like Scott Spencer suggest that he was a God-fearer, an important vocabulary word of the New Testament, which means it was a person that might not have been part of the faith but took great interest in the things that the Jewish faith proclaimed. 
so he may have traveled to the temple because of his mere interest. Other scholars suggest that he was going there on royal business on behalf of the Candace, or queen, of Ethiopia. Nevertheless, his recent trip to Jerusalem had been a stark reminder that there was no hope for him to be included via the Jewish rites of circumcision. One of my most esteemed seminary professors, whose name was Stanley Hauerwas, that is most noted today for his work in medical ethics and anthropological ethics, would always have mantras. One of his most famous mantras may be helpful to us in our study of today's passage. He would always say, you don't know who you are until you are told. You don't know who you are until you are told. We don't know that we're children of God until we are told. We don't know that we're called to A, B, or C until we are told. And we don't know that there is a grand purpose to our story until we are told. And as much as we like to use the word I in talking about our faith journey, it's actually a combination of the church body, the writers of Scripture, and God's self and our belief therein that tell us this story. But the problem comes, however, when these voices are drowned out by others, even sometimes beyond our control. They make us believe that our narrative doesn't make much sense. We're told by these voices that we cannot be or do something because we do not fit in with the norm around us. We're told that we're too young or we're too old. We're told that we're too soft or too harsh. We're told we're too feminine or too masculine, overqualified or underqualified. We're told that our grades are too low and our absences are too high to make the cut. And the difficulty comes when we listen to it. Who was narrating the eunuch's story for him? Who was molding his character and organizing the trajectory of the plot? The state of Ethiopia, his job as a high-ranking official, societal norms that told him he was an outcast, the temple that told him he was cut off from the faith, and perhaps even his own conscience convincing him that all of these were worthy authors of being in charge of his story. Who were both Don and the eunuch trusting to write the pages of their lives. It was at the precise moment that both of those characters encountered the author of life that they were given a chance at a new direction. For Don, he learns that he can write a new narrative, one where there is a purpose or a telos. And finding that purpose and journeying towards it, he thought could make for a very worthwhile plot. For the eunuch, he discovered that his narrative did have a purpose already. He had just not been told. So when Philip reaches the chariot, he does just that. Philip was prompted by the Holy Spirit, it says, to go. And he did, and he comes to the eunuch. And the eunuch says to Philip, About whom, may I ask, does this prophet say this? About himself 
or about someone else. And my interpretation is that essentially he's asking, am I the one in that story? Is that story for me? You see, the scriptures that he was reading offered a plot twist from what society had told him, what his job had narrated for him, and what the Old Testament laws had shown him. This story is one that he might have desired but considered impossible. And the book of Acts stops just short of revealing the depth of this story and how it pieces together. For what we see here is simply the eunuch resonating with an Old Testament scripture where he finds similarity by being silenced by oppressors, led to the slaughter, and humiliated. But what is provided to us if we go back and read those passages that Keith read in Isaiah, three chapters over from what's been quoted here in Acts, it says this, For thus says the Lord, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Great puns. No wonder that the eunuch desperately desires to know who this person is talking about in this blessing. The eunuch says, About whom, may I ask you, does this prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? This is not the story that he knows. The Ethiopian man goes on to ask, How do I understand these unless someone guides me? And in that moment, Philip shares with him the identity of a narrator that has come to bring a new story to his life and to make him whole. The extended passage of Isaiah also talks about a character that was led to slaughter. It says he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our sins, and the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. This Ethiopian man hears of the healing powers of this man, the inclusivity of his message, and is curious if there is a part in it for him. If we're not kidding ourselves, we know that this man's question is our own from time to time. Who is it that these words of Scripture are talking about? Who is this individual that can bring healing to our broken hearts and severed relationships? And most of all, do these scriptures really have something to say to me? Who are we letting tell us our own stories? Is it our jobs? Basing our salary on production and perhaps what even might be a convoluted system anyway? Is it the state who ultimately reduces our identity to a set of nine numbers? Is it society, whose norms change as often as seasonal fashions? Is it church culture that sometimes needs a reminder to practice what you preach? Is it our own insecurities, believing that maybe all of those above options are actually working towards a purpose? The voice that the eunuch hears writing his story now is no longer his job, 
his society, the empire, or what's written solely in the Jewish law. But rather, it's a missionary. It's the prophet Isaiah. It's the scriptures. It's the early church, Jesus Christ. And now his beliefs that present to him a new story. The eunuch finds his story anew. And in doing so, he cries out in proclamation, Look, there is water. What prevents me from being baptized? His proclamation here is a proclamation and declaration that he too is included. This is his story, and this is where he belongs. And if we trust Philip, Isaiah, and Jesus about this story as a newly written story, then hear these words today. There is a new story awaiting each of us too. Frederick Beekner, a theologian who finds his way into many sermons preached from this pulpit, suggests that the story we have been invited to live into through the gospel message is a fairy tale. He's not suggesting that it's a made-up story, but rather he proposes that the gospel story has the ability to take us outside of ourselves, and ironically, deep within ourselves as well. That this story, like a fairy tale, is where we become submerged in the plot line, like I mentioned in the children's moment. It's a story where we might find friendships in the characters. This story comes to us, he says, when, quote, there is a fragrance in the air, a certain passage of a song, an old photograph that falls from the pages of a book. It's the sound of a familiar voice calling from down the hallway where your heart leaps with joy. He goes on to say, and I encourage you to pay attention to the verb, who can say when or how it will be that something easters up out of the dimness to remind us of a time before we were born and after we die. So the world that we live in and the world that lives within us can never be home again. This too is what fairy tales can do for us, what the gospel does for us. He says also in, um, in his speaking, and all of this business of happily ever after does not mean a road, road paved for easy travel, nor does it mean pie in the sky by and by. It is, however, an invitation to live life in its fullness. And all of those Cinderella and Jack and the Beanstalk stories become who we are. So much so that we start to believe in the underdog and we hope in the nearly impossible. And that, that is what the gospel story does for our lives as well. Friends, what we hear, we live. And what we live tells others their stories too. Therefore, our lives write the greater narrative of history. What story are we telling by our lives? Donald Miller writes in his concluding pages this. We live in a world where bad stories are told. Stories that teach us that life doesn't mean anything and humanity has no great purpose. 
It's a mighty calling then to speak a better story. Philip helped the eunuch to find a better story. And the happily ever after for him, I'm sure, was still crude and harsh and real. But the freedom to be loved, to have purpose, and to be fully alive was a joyous story. So in this Easter season of bearing witness, just as the first witnesses to the resurrection did, may you and I be characters that give God's story purpose in the hearts of our community. Pray with me. Oh God, may you give us grace, courage, and willingness to continue on in this narrative that we call life. God, from time to time, we are unsure of directions. We are unsure of what we are doing and how we are doing them. And God, much of that is influenced by the other voices that creep into our existence. We pray, O oh God, that you would put people in our lives like Philip that would remind us that you have a narrative for us that is inclusive, that includes us and can be spoken for and to us. God, you also have a narrative for us that though it may still be difficult, it is one that is joyous. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would bless our steps and bless our discerning as we too uncover what it is that our narratives will speak. It is in your name we pray. Amen.